Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. I'm in studio here at Deason, Garner, and Hanson. We are in our personal studio, and this is a new look for us. We've been doing it in studio at KBLU, but now we're doing it in our personal studio here, and I've got a couple guests with us. I've got Matt McGuire. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. So you work with uh, JV Farms. JV Farms. I'm the ag officer there at JV Farms. Wonderful. And I also have Elliot Taylor, mm-hmm. and she is a candidate for Miss Yuma County. Welcome, Elliot. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. We're going to be talking about water today. Now, um, Matt is somewhat of a water expert because you focus on water allocations for your farms every day. That's what you do, right, Matt? Without water, we don't have farms. Okay. So, yeah, water's on top of the subject right now on most people's minds. Perfect. And Elliot is focusing on water as well as part of her run for Miss Yuma County. It's, it's part of your platform. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so every candidate needs... Uh, a platform we call it a social impact basically a way that you think a way that the community should be affected um and i chose the water issue because it's a huge deal especially here in the desert we're a big agriculture community and we have a huge water crisis and you just aren't hearing it talked about pretty much at all and a lot of people don't even know it's a problem even here in yuma Wonderful. Thank you. And we're going to we're going to talk about that. And so as Matt and I start discussing some of the statistical issues and legal requirements that are going on with the water rights, we're going to rely on you to keep us grounded and bring us back into the what everyday um, social aspect of having enough water um, brings to the table. Uh, and we have Cody Beeson, who's running the boards for us. Welcome, Mr. Beeson. Hey, thank you. I, I enjoy these conversations. There's so much that comes out of this. So let's get started in this. Um, right now, it, it's actually starting to make way in the news, and I don't know if uh, just Google has figured out what I'm looking for more, and so they're bringing up more news stories that are relevant to things that I'm interested in, but I'm seeing more news about the drought uh, across the, the western United States, and they're calling it a mega drought, the, the largest drought that we've had in the past 100 years, and, and I've even heard people make reference to it's the largest drought or the most severe drought that we've had in the past 1,200 years. Now, those are people that are geologists and, and looking back at the rocks as to what the waterfall was and the tree rings and things like that because uh, we, don't, we haven't been here 1,200 years. But suffice us to say that it has been a big drought. And, and, and the drought, I guess we could look back at the year 2000 and the past 22 years, and how much precipitation we've received in what we call the Colorado Basin, the Colorado River Basin. This is, It comprises of two parts, the upper basin and the lower basin, and involves uh, essentially seven states. We've got Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and those are the upper basin. And then we've got Arizona and uh, California, parts of New Mexico, and then and this, the country of Mexico down below for part of the lower basin. So how severe is this drought, Matt? Well, we're in a 20-year 20, 20 drought. There's no 
no question about it. Now, Lake Mead, Lake Power, really built for droughts. The, the bigger long-term structural problem in the river that they have to take care of is the river's over-allocated. It's, it has allocations between the upper and lower basins at 17 million acre feet. The high side of tree rings and whatnot say they only get about 15 million acre feet in. So besides just the drought, they have to take care of the 2 million acre feet annual shortfall on average. That's a structural problem along the river. And you make a good point that uh, we've got the Lake Mead that's, that is made up from the Hoover Dam and then Lake Powell that's made up of the Glen Canyon Dam, and those are to help us weather through these droughts. But if we're over-allocating the water, whether as, even if, as it averages over good years and bad years, then that's going to be a problem that's going to reduce the amount of water that's left in those reservoirs, even in good years. That's right. So that's why the lakes have gone down as drastically as they had. It's just not the inflow that's reduced from average. It's the over-allocation. We keep delivering water over, over that, and they have not taken care of that structural problem along the river. Okay. So what is the first step in taking care of that problem? Well, the first step is what they're doing right now and have been doing for four or five years. They've gotten the upper basin states and the lower basin states together, and they're trying to work out a new compact, new allocation, what to do in these present times of both drought and the fact the river is over-allocated. So the compact is a bit outdated. Compact uh, was originally signed between upper basins and lower basins in 1922. Just 100 years old. Just 100 years old. And unfortunately, when the upper basin and lower basin was allocated, they didn't know about tree rings and some things like that, the, the present scientific knowledge that says how, we, how much water falls. And they had just had some of the wettest years on record, and that's what they went off of when they allocated the river. Yeah. In fact, I've read a recent study. Um, and it indicated that the allocation was based off of 16.4 million acre feet of flow. And even with that study, there was 16.5 to 17 million acre feet allocation. And so even in a good year, we were over allocated. So a new compact needs to be structured that takes into account, number one, what the real flow is and then what also what the need is and the usage is. But that gets complicated because the present compact bases the priority of water rights on first in use and therefore not necessarily how, how much is needed. It's just who used it first. That is correct. The law of the river bases premises first in has the most perfected water rights, last in has the least perfected. The, the problem, and, and I'm sure this has been the problem in the negotiations, when you talk about need, need of who? Need of the farmers, need of making food, need for tap water in L.A. or Phoenix. Uh, what, whose need? And everybody has different priority needs for the fish, need for greenery up you know, along the Snake River, some of the other contributaries. Whose need? So this is where I want to bring Ellie into the conversation. So from your perspective, when you hear of a drought, and you, you were born and raised here in the desert, not 
completely here in Phoenix or in Yuma the whole time. You were born in Phoenix, was it? I was actually born in Chicago, but I moved oh. to Phoenix before I turned two. So I've basically lived in Arizona my whole life. So you are familiar with the desert landscape and the mm -hmm. fact that we get all of our water from the upper basin, the Colorado Rockies and, and, and Utah, the, the Green River and uh, the San Juan. And if we don't have that water flowing in, then we can't sustain life here. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you're aware of the bigger picture of the agriculture, mm -hmm. but what kind of images conjure up in your mind when you hear that we're in this drought and we have to reduce our, our use of the, the river or the river is going to dry up? I think that I don't think that we're ever going to get to the point where we're completely out of water. Like, I never saw that as an actual option. Like, it was just going to be figured out before we got to that point. I think when I think of drought and having to cut back water, before I knew more about the issue, I was just thinking per more personal use, like people cutting down their own water, you know, taking shorter showers, turning off the sink when they brush their teeth, simple things like that. When I thought of drought and conserving water, um, is that true that it actually helps save water for personal use? Like, do people actually use that much water? Is it mainly agriculture? And I think that's a wonderful question because when we're talking about water, we're talking about an acre foot at a time. And an acre foot is a whole lot of water. I don't have that broken down into gallons. but 326,000 gallons per acre foot. Okay. And, and, and we're using millions of acre feet. In fact, Arizona's allocated 2.8 million acre feet of use. So when somebody um, reduces their personal water use, takes a little bit of shorter shower and so on, um, how impactful is that for the rest of the, the need that we have for water? Well, let me throw some numbers at you. Great. Just, just so you know where we're at. So agriculture, farming, is using 70% of the water out of the Colorado River. Urban use, industrial use, other uses, about 30%. So does it help? Yes. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. You know, if a little's good, more is better. So uh, if people save some water, that'd be great. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, a study that was done four or five years ago where uh, the larger cities, older cities, are losing 30% of their water through aging infrastructure. Well, we should be spending money on aging infrastructure because that 30%, it's just not Colorado River water. It's all their water they're losing 30%. So their pipes in the ground are leaking water. Leaking, breaking, valves don't work, uh, that type of thing. Yes. Okay. So they can improve their situation by improving infrastructure. Uh, farmers, we're really interesting here in Yuma Valley. So we have what we call uh, flat basin farming. So all our fields are flat by flat. And the U of A has done a number of studies, and we're just about as efficient as drip because everybody comes in, why aren't you using drip? Why aren't you using drip? Yeah. Well, I'm not using drip because I don't want to put $1,000 more into the cost per acre to grow a head of lettuce mm. when, I'm, when the best I can do is drip, and I'm just as efficient as drip according to the university studies. So irrigation, when you plow the fields, and I see that there's um, plow lines, I don't know this technical term for the plow line chiseling ripping okay and um, three different things okay <laughs> so you, and then and then and and once it's all 
tilled up and then ready for planting, I see that there's specific rows that are available for the irrigation water to flow. And then typically the, the head of the lettuce is planted at the top, at the peak. Right. So what we do, we, we rip and chisel the ground and then disc it and then laser level it. So our fields are as flat as a tabletop. They have no outlet, like a bathtub with no plug. Right. They're, they're tabletop flat within a quarter inch from one end of the field to the other. So we flood those fields and we do all that work because the Colorado River and our grounds here originally are very, very salty. So we have to wa- wash the salts out to be able to grow the vegetables. Now you take Salinas or some of the northern counties, they have salts too, but they have this wonderful thing called rainfall, <laughs> 10 to 14 inches a year. So that washes their salts out. We have to do that artificially with the water. So where do the salts go when they wash out? Do they go down into the we, we wash them down. upper walker, aquifers? Down, down lower, and then we have the groundwater pumps pumping the salty water out. So we're really creating space to push salts down, take them out, and they get returned to the river. And part of the compact in 1944 with Mexico was we have to meet certain salinity standards. Yeah, we can't just turn it all into salt water and then say, here you go. Right. So it turns out over time, our salinity levels out of those groundwater pumps are going down. They're still very high, but they're about half what they used to be, you know, 50 years ago, 40 how, years ago. How far below the surface is that groundwater that's got that high salinity level? Well, with the groundwater pumps, we're probably, the groundwater level is 20 feet below. Okay. But without the groundwater pumps, I've had uh, places over in Bard Winter Haven that had no tile system or groundwater pumps or dewatering uh, infrastructure, and I could dig down a foot, and yeah, I'd have water, standing water. And, but that would be very salty water, and your crops wouldn't very, grow in that. No, we're still reclaiming some of that ground. And if you think about it, that's what this ground here was at the turn of the century. It was pastures and pastures for cows and whatnot. Uh, very, very wet, kind of swampy. There was all kinds of trees in, uh, along the river here. In fact, that was, if you go to the historical society, they talk about how the main industry turn of the century was actually lumber being shipped up the river to Phoenix. So, Oh, from the Yuma Valley? From the Yuma Valley, because everything here was trees, all cottonwood, big old cottonwood trees along the river. Yeah, and if you go to Picacho Park, you'll still see quite a bit of cottonwood right. up there. So pumping this salt water, would you call it briny water? It's briny, yeah. It, okay. It, it's definitely salty. Uh-huh. Out of the the water level and and would would it be considered it wouldn't be considered an aquifer at that point when it's just about 10 to 20 feet below the surface of the ground i don't think they would classify it as an aquifer no so you're you're pulling that out you're pumping it back into the river and but back in the 60s we were doing it at such a rate that it was rendering the river essentially too salty for mexico to use and so a big desalination plant was built was that the basis behind that? That's that's the basis behind the desalination plant. Only by the time they got it built, we had dropped the salt water levels enough they didn't need the desalination plant anymore. How did we do that? Uh, just over time. You're, you're just desalting the top 10 feet. And so all you now have to take out is whatever you're bringing in. Now, we, we're still a net exporter of salt. We're still exporting more salt 
than we're bringing in from the Colorado River. But to give you an idea, another statistic, fun fact, we use about five, six acre feet on our crops here in the Yuma area. Average. So that's a foot. That's that's an acre foot. Six feet of water for every foot of land. Right. For every acre piled up six feet deep, that's how much. Each acre foot has about 2,000 pounds of salt in it. So for the five or six acre feet we use, we're putting on 10 or 12,000 pounds of salt per acre. Okay, and if we just left it there, we'd be out of business within a year or two. So, and, and that's in the river already. That's not in our soil. Nope, that's in the river. So our soil quality compared to when we first began irrigating 100 years ago, is it better or worse? Better. And is it just because of the salt content we've been able to wash out and, and pull that briny water out from the residual of the irrigation and pump it back into the river? That, that is correct. So turn of the century, there was no dewatering, desalination mechanisms for the ground. They just pumped the water on top and salts accumulated, salts accumulated. That's why they only grew Bermuda grass and pasture pastures around here at the turn of the century is all cattle and that kind of stuff. And then then they figured out how to start desalinating it, making the ground better, cotton came along, that kind of thing. So circling back to um, Ellie's question about how much personal use of water, everyday use in our households, can help the water shortage aspect. Let's put this into perspective. Now, I don't want to encourage people, you know, just to take extra long showers or to waste water, but how much statistically can an individual household or a community contribute to this water crisis? A lot. I don't know what the statistics are. I would guess 30% or more, maybe 50%. Well, if we're only using 30%, well, we can't, we can't cut all of our water off. I still got No, use. what I'm talking about is a, a person can reduce their consumption by 30%. Uh, the, the trouble is, is water has been relatively inexpensive for farmers, city dwellers, whoever you want to talk about. When you make it expensive... They start saving a lot of water. They, um, when water became tight in Imperial Valley, look what they did. They put in ditches that were cemented. They put off, cut off and pumped it back. They put conservation methods in place. So now look at the Salton Sea. It's receded, boy, a half mile out from where it was when I was over there 18 years ago. So that's all water conservation. That's not less crops being grown. That's now they're no longer wasting water. Same with people in the cities. If if now, instead of paying what they pay, if you double it, I guarantee they will start brushing their teeth, not letting the sink run, uh, fixing their leaky toilets, not taking 40-minute showers, not letting the water run off on their lawn. I said, every little bit helps. If a little's good, more is better. We got to take a break, but we're going to come back to this. This is 560 AM KBLU Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. 
Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. I am an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. We do estate planning, but today we're talking about water and, more importantly, the mega drought that the West is in and how we're going to handle that. I've got some special guests with me today. I've got Matt McGuire with JV Farms, and I've got Elliot Taylor, who is a candidate for Miss Yuma County. So Elliot is keeping us grounded as far as the individual issues that are affected when we have a water crisis on our hands, and Matt is looking at the big overall picture, and more particularly, how it affects our our crops and the agriculture and economy that uh, fuels um our communities here in Yuma as well as around Arizona and California. So let's get back in where we left off. Um, Ellie brought up the question about the water crisis and what we can do on an individual basis. And Matt, your response to that is every, every person can help. If I, if I don't let the water run when I brush my teeth, I can help that. But um, when we're talking about percentages, the numbers can be skewed a lot of different ways. And in fact, I read an article, one article from California that talked about how much um, Gavin Newsom has reduced the water usage um, by the residents there in California and how it was this big milestone that they hit. And they had reduced their water, um, I guess the overuse of water by 20% and, and it was trending even downward. And they were claiming a lot of accolades for that. But when we took the total perspective and looked at how much water there was available and where it was being allocated, outside that article, it was determined that 50% of the water that they were receiving, whether it would be from rainfall or the Colorado River or other sources, was being let out into the ocean for environmental purposes to keep the streams running and to keep the salinity level and the sounds down so fish like the Delta smelt and the Chinook salmon could start making a comeback because they're on the endangered species list. So that's 50% of California's water is being let out into the ocean. So when they're talking about statistically 20 or 30% being allocated for uh, the cities and municipal use or everyday household use, that, that gets cut in half to really 15% of what California actually has. And uh, if you reduce that by 20%, you're really looking at a, a reduction of more like um, 
3 to 6% of a reduction in water use. So the big users of the water are ag and the environment, especially when it comes to California. Now, in Arizona, we're much different in how we allocate our water. Um, we allocate it probably 70, 30 to ag and residential, and the environment is impacted in the way that the river flows, certainly, but also in the agriculture that is grown here. That, that impacts the environment as well. But we don't have the natural streams and rivers that California has to allow the water just to flow through to the ocean. In fact, we're in the basin. If it doesn't flow out to the Colorado River, it doesn't flow out to the ocean at all. Correct. Um, you know, th there's this ongoing social debate on how we should allocate resources. Should we let water run to the ocean, keep the fish alive? So, again, you gotta remember those fish are also caught, they feed the population. We grow food, feed the population. Or do the cities and the population need more water to just, just to sustain themselves? They have to drink water to live. Unfortunately, over the years, and, and I'll say this, um, and it's more of a global perspective. We're in the habit as humans of building cities and and populations in unsustainable places. Phoenix was just declared the most unsustainable city in the U.S., just an article I read a month ago. Over Las Vegas? Over Las Vegas. Really? Yeah, okay. over Las Vegas. Well, that, uh, that is a title. that. It well, not... Las Vegas gets more rain. I, you know, I don't know why they picked Phoenix. You look at New Orleans, built 10... 10 feet below sea level and we mm -hmm. have these giant dikes to keep out the ocean. We're not going to win against Mother Nature. In fact, you know, Katrina wiped out New Orleans and what did we do? I mean, we're so smart, we built, rebuilt the city. Yeah. You know? Well, in Jackson, Mississippi, they, they were without water pressure for a, almost a week because of the floods that occurred down there and are continuing to occur because the, the Mississippi is flooding. So the real thing we have to decide as as a society, I think particularly when it comes to water, should we keep building, expanding Phoenix, expanding L.A., expanding places that don't get water, that can't sustain themselves, or should we keep taking water away from places like the river so the f fish die out or take it away from the farms and so they can't eat and plan on getting our food and our substance someplace else, even though there's problems everywhere <laughs> with the same issues. And, and, and that argument is a good one because you think about it, you think of other um, areas of the United States that have rainfall naturally that we're not utilizing all the land and, and probably Kansas and, and Nebraska and some of those flatland plain areas um, would, would be those areas where we could grow more crops. But I know that Yuma produces what is it, 90% of the nation's spinach in the wintertime? Right. 90% of vegetables that you see, leafy greens, um, come from the Yuma area. And we, we can do that because of the climate here. And the soil here has improved significantly because of the way that the farmers have allocated the water and pumped out the, the briny water from just below the surface and, and, and treated it. So when you look at an environmental perspective, the earth is actually in a better shape here, the dirt, the soil, than it was when we first arrived. Is that a true statement? That's a true statement. 
And it continues to get better. And the people that own the land, especially because of this whole capitalistic system that we're in, have incentives to continue to make it better and more productive, not just to strip it bare and leave it for barren. Yeah, we try to treat the ground uh, very well. We're always doing things to improve the ground, soil health, grow better crops, get more off the ground than we used to get even 10 years ago. And I think, Ellie, from your perspective, you're, you're viewing this from more of a moral perspective, from the next generation that's coming up that's got to inherit uh, what we leave behind. And how does that make you feel? Um, and does that fit in with the narrative that you've been hearing within your social network as to how we treat the land? Because I know that there's a, a large, loud voice out there that says, these, these capitalistic movements that uh, just take what they can get and, and it's all about money is a bad thing because it's going to leave the next generation with something that is desolate. Um, how much is that in the narrative that you're hearing? And, and when you hear Matt talk about the, the status of the soil now, how, how do those two arguments um, coincide with, with what you're hearing? I think people think of capitalism as a bunch of big industries just pumping carbon into the air and making all these industrial buildings that are destroying our environment. But in reality, there's things like there's farming and there's people who are taking care of the environment, making it better than we found it. Um, and I would think that the environmentalists would before water conservation, before um, using the resources of Mother Earth properly. But like you're saying, there's all this, this natural water in California that the environmentalists are against conserving because of species. And when you say conserving, do you mean not using or do you mean using in a calculated way that for the best and most efficient use? Yeah, using in a calculated like using in a calculated way for the best and most efficient use. Dumping it into the ocean isn't conserving it. It's going into the ocean where we can't use it because of the salt levels. Especially when we're talking about building desalination plants on the coast mm -hmm. to reclaim it from the ocean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just seems like a big waste. Yeah. So, Matt, do you get a lot of pushback from environmentalists about the amount of farming that is done by your company. How much farming is done? How many acres of farm do you guys uh, manage? Uh, we manage in this area about 11,000 acres. In this area? In this area. But you don't just farm in this area? No, we're, we're in Colorado, uh, Alamosa, Colorado, about 3,500 acres there. We farm actually right across the border in Mexico, Alcadonas. We have about 10,000 acres there. And you use the Colorado River water for that? Uh, actually, that is groundwater. Oh, okay. Uh, there. So we're actually trying to use that salty water to grow crops. Do you have to source your own water in, in another country like that? And the way it's done, it's a little bit different down there in that uh, each well, uh, each moldal water district has certain water rights on each well that they've established. And that's we do have Colorado River surface water on some of the land pieces also, and they're entitled to X amount of water 
per that piece of land. So it's a little bit different than up here. Now the Colorado River is supplying the aquifers that you're drawing from. Is that or where is the where is the water coming for those aquifers? Basically, uh, leakage from the Colorado River. Yeah. So, so it is the Colorado River. Uh, the aquifer moves from northeast to southwest here. So um, uh, so we're pumping it out and we're, we're using it. So we have about you know close to ten thousand acres in Mexico. Uh, to finish my thought, and then in Salinas, we have about almost another 10,000 acres. So the groundwater in Mexico is, you're able to use that, but not the groundwater here? The, well, we we could use the groundwater here, mm-hmm. only we would not ha- have nearly as good a crops as we have in Mexico, or, or vice versa. We have much better crops on this side of the border because of the desalination, Uh methods we're doing up here the crops in mexico are not yielding as much because of the salts and we've got to take a break now but i want to come back and talk about uh how is it more efficient to use it with where there's irrigation or pumping it out of the ground or other methods so this is 560 am kblu life death and the law and we'll be back after a break more thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hansen, and we are here with Matt McGuire and Elliot Taylor. Matt is the agriculture specialist for JV Farms. Elliot Taylor is a candidate for Miss Yuma County. When is the competition? When is the pageant? It's in November. I don't know the exact date, but there are all sorts of things that you have to do beforehand. There's rehearsals you have to go to and interviews and things like that. And so Elliot is focusing on the water crisis as Mm -hmm. part of her social impact and and focus on how she can help what's going on in in the society and in the environment. So you you go go through and you get to pick a topic. And and how did you pick water use and the water crisis that we're currently encountering? Well, because people don't know it's an issue or they do know maybe in the back of their heads that it's an issue, but they don't know just how big of an issue it is. Um, I said earlier, I never imagined that running out of water is just something that I I never think would happen. But based on the path that we're going, if we continue down the path we're going, we could run out of water, um, which is crazy to think that. But people don't realize just how big a problem it is. And my whole platform is based around the fact that America is a land of innovators. It is a land of people who can solve problems. And the first step to solving a problem is knowing there is one. And so just putting that out there and making it a a normal conversation that people have, you know, when they're talking about current events that just in their daily lives that they would, you know, understand that this is a huge current event that is not talked about nearly enough. So Matt, what are some options for dealing with the water? What's the likelihood that we're going to run out of water? And for residents of Yuma County or Phoenix or Tucson, that's a very big, big problem because without water, 
this land becomes desolate. Mm -hmm. Well, if it stops raining and stops snowing in the upper or lower basins, yeah, I mean, you're talking about biblical catastrophes and and we're having mass migration of everybody out of this area that you know it's happened before in past histories uh when things like that have happened so uh, it's hard for me to foresee that now we we're getting less rain we're getting less uh snow so that does mean we're gonna have to scale back either the populations or how much the populations are growing or how much water they're using we're going to have to scale back on farming. Uh, that's what's happening right now. The Central Arizona project's been cut off, so a lot of the farms in Central Arizona are now drying up. They get an additional water cut January 1st. And so they've been cut off to what level? Uh, I th they th What, 21% of the water cuts in Arizona have all been borne by the Central Arizona project. Okay. So, so they've lost 500,000 acre feet, so I don't know... If they have any to farm with or just a little bit to continue farming with after the first of the year. So what my understanding is they're using groundwater to continue the reduced amount of agriculture that they're able to support. There is some groundwater over there, but even at that point, you know, we farm in the San Luis Valley in, in Colorado. And it's the groundwater there is fed by um, the mountains and the snow around the San Juan River. That's an adjudicated basin because it was way overpumped. It's all groundwater. And so they've had to fallow a lot of ground over there to not deplete the aquifer. And for our listeners, to fallow ground means to have farmable fields available to plant crops, but to leave it unplanted or even after you plant it to stop um, irrigating and maintaining the, the ground. That is correct. Is, you that, leave is it, that the definition of fouling? Fallow. You, you don't do anything with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, in fact, some of it's gone back to desert. Mm. Uh, and some of the ground over in Arizona, when I was there 30 years ago, is back to desert uh, because the groundwater pumping that they did got to be too expensive and they had to pump too deep. Mm -hmm. uh, so groundwater pumping is probably a short-term solution. It's not a long-term solution. Because the groundwater has to be replenished has to be replenished, and and Phoenix is not surrounded by a whole bunch of nice mountains and a nice giant river running through the river like the San Juan in Colorado. So so what replenishes the groundwater in Maricopa County and Pinal County and Pima County, which they rely on that Central Arizona Project Canal to provide their water. Now they're relying on groundwater, but if they're not using water from the Colorado River to irrigate their fields, it's not going back down into the aquifers to replenish that groundwater. Yeah, basically the rivers, the Gila River uh, is dried up because it's, it's dammed over there and they use it for uh, Tucson and for Phoenix. The Salt River Project, they do flow river down and you, you see the dam now uh, in Tempe at Mill Avenue there and they have that huge lake and selling ponds because the city of Phoenix pumps a lot of that water out and that comes from Apache and up at some of those local lakes. But that's not enough to, to farm with in the magnitude that was farming over there. So a reduction of 21%, we're talking one-fifth of all their total allocation from the Colorado River. For the state of Arizona, that's correct. And and it was, it's all being impacted on the Central Arizona Project, which means Maricopa County, Pinal County, and a bit of Pima County. All those guys right now are taking the brunt. So 
I have heard that um, farmers here in Yuma County have been asked to reduce their water usage as well. Can you explain why that's happening if, if that we aren't taking the brunt of the water shortages? Well, uh, Wealth and Mohawk was the one we were asked to reduce on, but it had more to do that they thought we were going to go over allocation by the end of the year. So there are different irrigation districts. Yeah. Wealth and Mohawk is one irrigation Wealth district. Wealth and Mohawk, Yuma uh, Water Users, Yuma, Yuma Water District, Yuma... County uh, users, North Gila Valley, you got Mesa, A and B. Some very creative names. Yeah, <laughs> I get confused sometimes. Water users are, are known for their creativity. So uh, so Wealth and Mohawk has a problem. They have an allocation. They have a set amount of water they can use, and that's it. The other water districts generally have an undefined water use, so they're allowed to have as much water to grow the overlying crop. So initially, before I started researching this project a little bit more, um, I understood Yuma County had its allocated portion, and then the other counties that were fed off of the Central Arizona project had their allocation priority, and that's not actually correct. It's, it's broken down into each water district, and so when you hear of Wilton Mohawk Irrigation District having a reduction, that doesn't necessarily play directly into what we see here on the other side of the mountains from between Yuma and Welton because that's a different irrigation district. That's correct. So right now with the priority system and the interim rules that they're, they're, they're running by um, throughout Arizona, it was agreed, and, and part of this goes back to some Supreme Court rulings and um, backaways that uh, Central Arizona Project was the last one sticking the, the straw in the river. Mm -hmm. uh, in Arizona. So as water flows, are, are, we don't get as much rainfall and we're reduced on water flows. It was, Arizona agreed to be, to be able to stick that star into the river that they would be the first ones out. Mm -hmm. And that's ex exactly what's happening now. They agreed they'd be the first one out. They're being cut off. And now that, that was back in 1922? In no. Project? Uh, the interim rules came about in 2007 and updated, I think, in 2019. Oh. So the original compact really between the states was between 1922. That's, 19, that was the upper and lower basin and how much each state got. Oh, okay. And then, and then it evolved over time. And so we had to, of course, discuss with Mexico how much of the Colorado River was going to be allowed to flow into Mexico because mm -hmm. they weren't happy with us using it all. Mm -hmm. And so in 1944, there was an additional agreement that uh, there would be an allocation to Mexico. And then in 1973, the Central Arizona Project um, started, there, there was an agreement that they would receive an allocation of water. But since they were the last in time to begin allocating water to that project, then they're the first to be reduced when there's reductions implemented. Right. So back before 1973, Arizona was not using its full allotment. And so Arizona wanted to use its full allotment, and they had ground. I mean, all the ground in central Arizona was being farmed. It was all on groundwater pumps. But again, salty water, not a long-term efficient mm -hmm. use. And who's the one making these decisions? Is it the state legislators, or who's making these contracts? It is all seven states. Uh, well, all, all the basin states agreed on the compact of who would get how much. Part of it was the Supreme Court ruling. The priorities, who gets cut off, 
has to do with first in, first out. So this area is one of the top priorities because you can imagine this was a river valley. The river was flowing. The easiest place to farm was right along the river. So we were, Yuma Valley, Gila Valley was some of the, um, Gila River Valley, that flowed at that time too. That was all farmed and they pumped straight out of the river. So we were the first ones using water out of the river, 1850, 1860. Um, then, you know, towards late 1800s, don't ask me why, but the pioneers over in Imperial decided to build a canal 60 miles across the desert and thought that'd be a great place to farm. Now, I don't know how you do that, but there was no river over there, but they did. Mm -hmm. um, and so they got water just before the turn of the century over there. So they were the first ones in. They started using the water first, so they have top priority of of the river. Uh, actually, the Native Americans are above us, and they have river uh, water rights above and beyond uh, most of the water districts here. That's all the time that we have for today, but I look forward to speaking with you more, Matt. Thank you so much for being part of our show. Ellie, thank you for coming and contributing, and best of luck to you with Miss Yuma County. Thank you so much. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.